You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. To the chasers of light, to the purveyors of pictures, to all of you listening around the world, and as Bill and Ted would say, dudes and dudettes, you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Deal, along with your other host, Brandon Gorey. <laughs> what a laugh. <laughs> so this is the F11 Photography Podcast, a weekly photography podcast that we put out every Tuesday. Um, usually comes out around four in the morning central time, which I think is like minus six, minus seven GMT. So wherever you are in the world, that's when we release this every Tuesday. Um we love to talk about photography, videography, mm. process, gear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can check us out at f11pod.com. You can check us out on Instagram and Twitter with the handle f11pod. And if you follow us on the major platforms, which you must be because you're listening to this right now, uh, if you could leave us a five-star review, we would be very grateful because uh, as you leave these reviews, it tickles the algorithm of the respective podcast uh, host sites and uh, puts us higher up on the search results. And so uh, then we get to grow. Which... Yeah, yeah. Notice how he didn't say four and a half stars. He said five stars. So if yeah. we catch one of you giving us a four and a half star review, you bet your ass we're going to reply to that shit and we're going to we'll probably even take it down and we'll, we'll sue for libel. No, we won't. But if you do give us a one-star rating, uh, just remember, uh, just like click five because we love you. <laughs> if you hate us, click five because you want us to grow. All right. So today's episode uh, is going to be part two of growing uh, in photography, things to improve uh, with your photography. We already did a growing through photography episode, so I, <laughs> I didn't say that correctly. Today is going to be part two of... Things that I've learned to improve photography, things that Brandon has learned to improve photography, and hopefully things that we can pass along to you all uh, if you're a beginner or maybe uh, if you're seasoned but you just didn't realize uh, maybe if I just changed this one little thing, it could make me a much better uh, and improved photographer. And so where we're going to start, <clears throat> working with people who are better than you. Now, I know that this is a very ego-driven industry, and nobody's uh, work is as good as my work, and nobody's work is as good as Brandon's work. And, yeah, if you're, right. and if you're at home listening, nobody's work is as good as your work. But uh, the truth is, is that there are people out there who make your work look like shit. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Everybody you meet knows something that you don't. Coming up in this industry, uh, whether you did it 50 years ago or you're doing it now, one of the best ways to improve yourself as a photographer is to study under people who are better than you. And we talked about that in the sending the ladder back down episode, which by the way is another way to improve as a photographer. When you get experience or success 
and your uh, career as a photographer, it's good to send the ladder back down and mm-hmm. help the community out. So I'm just going to go off on a side side track on that. Uh, if that whole uh, philosophy sounds good to you, sending the ladder back down, uh, we did a few weeks back do an episode on that. So I highly encourage you to go through our back catalog and uh, check out that episode. But we're going to keep the focus on working with people who are better than you. And so what am I talking about? So I, I did just say study under uh, other photographers. So for instance, there's stuff that uh, Brandon does that I don't do that maybe I want to do better. Um, maybe I go hang out and bug him and scare off his models on one of his uh, one of his shoots. You're and welcome anytime. I'll hold a reflector, bro. Um, <laughs> but it's it, 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 it could be lateral. It's not, it's not about, oh, I look at the whole body of work and this person's better than me. There are people who are younger than me who know how to do things that I don't know how to do because of when I came up, like I don't really know a lot of post-production tricks that a lot of them know. Like it's funny because when people do give me compliments on any retouching work I do, I'm just kind of like, if you knew how I got to that result, you'd probably be like, what's wrong with you? It's like, because I taught myself how to do a lot of things. YouTube helped a little bit as well. It, it doesn't even necessarily have to be someone as experienced or more experienced. There are people who are less experienced than you that still know things that you don't. So that's the point. Uh, better than you at something, not overall. Now, People who are better than you overall tend to have a lot of things that will help elevate you as a photographer and pull you up. So, um, and it's not just limited to working with other photographers. So, you know, as we talked about in the modeling episode, if you are up and coming, and you want to go up another tier. So let's just say we have a tiered system as a photographer. It's like, oh, I've hit this point. Now I'm at this tier. I hit that point. Now I'm at that tier. Well, it works across all the different types of parts of the industry. You have makeup artists who are at a particular level who are working on particular types of projects. You have models who are working on particular types of projects that are at a particular level. And then there's where you are as a photographer, whatever level you're at, go seek people who are a tier or two better than you because their experience will teach you things that you didn't know. It'll elevate the quality of your work and it'll pull you up to their tier, at least get you closer to their tier. And so that's something that I personally have experienced is that I'm not afraid to reach out to people who are maybe a tier or two better than me. Uh, you need to make sure that, you know, your work can at least be backed up. You don't want to like say, Hey, I picked up a camera this week. I'm going to approach a modeling agency. I got this really great idea. They're, they're, they're not going to say yes, but you know, just make sure you can back it up, but you know, when you're at that point. And so, uh, in your experience, Brandon, uh, are you, do, do you see the benefits of um, working with people who are better than you. Oh my God. Yes. And sometimes you don't even realize like some, you know, it, it's not, I've not diligently gone out and tried to work with a photographer who I thought was better than me. It didn't occur like that. Um, how it happened was I just, you know, started hanging out with photographer friends who shot differently than me. And I had no intention of learning anything. I just, you know, wanted to spend some time with them, wanted to hang out during one of their shoots, you know, that kind of stuff, just shooting the breeze and, you know, just being there, right. You're a part of the, you're a part of the environment. And I started noticing that the, you know, they started shooting things and the way they approached the shoot, the way they approached the model and the different areas that they they took their time on versus the different areas that they were quick on, you know, it opened my eyes. I was kind of just like, wait a second. Instead of, you know, crossing my arms, being in the corner, acting like the cool guy with the, you know, with the Fawn's hairdo. Instead, I was just like, oh shit, you know, this is really cool. So I started looking at like what the, what the photographer, how he was directing and, you know, my buddy was giving great direction and he was taking his time, um, directing and he, he was looking 
at the model a lot and like posing them in real time without even putting the camera up to his face. And he was just studying the shot himself because like, you know, you can always change the light. You can always change the, you know, inverse square law versus, you know, on the background versus the subject and all that stuff. But like the shape that you're looking for, he spent a lot of time on that. And so that's, you know, that's something I learned that was, it was just, it was fascinating and it taught me a different way of thinking. Yeah. And in terms of working with other photographers, it may not even be necessarily working with a photographer who's better than you. Uh, maybe the, the, the whole title is a tad misleading, but working with photographers who are different than you, um, people who shoot in different styles, people who use different techniques and methods to get from point A to point B, you could put that notch in your belt, learn from them and then see how you can apply it to your work. And, um, you know, the reason why I also bring up other trades in the industry is because I learn a lot about color from stylists. I learn about uh, the flow of clothes if I'm shooting fashion from stylists. There's so much you can learn from stylists about that sort of thing. And just attention to detail about like, oh, this this particular uh, piece has these pleads that like work with this, this set that you had or whatever, you know? And so uh, they have, they see things as artists, uh, just like you see things as artists, but differently, right? Because they're, they're doing it from the perspective of somebody who styles clothing on bodies, whereas you're just capturing what they're putting on the body. And so they don't see things the way that you, I mean, they, I guess they don't see things the way they, you see them. They give you a little bit of a different perspective and you can learn from them. You can learn stuff from, uh, from hairstylists, uh, about hair. I learned a lot about makeup to me. I don't even know the names of all the cosmetics. I'm like, I think that's concealer. I think that's, uh, you know, mascara eyeliner, you know, like I, you, you just no, lost completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, let cooks cook, but you know, makeup artists, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I learned real, real fast. Uh, you want to talk about working with people who are better than you that elevate or shit all over your shoots, makeup artists. Like I had a makeup artist once I was doing a, a shoot for a swimsuit line and I had this model, um, this, uh, model who was African American, dark skin, obviously. And the makeup artist didn't really have a lot of experience, uh, working on people with darker skin. And she made her face look her foundation, first of all, is a swimsuit shoot. And so I was less opinionated back then. I was too afraid to speak up. But if I had, if hindsight, hindsight's always 2020, 20. if I were going to speak, I'm like, this is a swimsuit shoot. We don't need a full face of makeup here. Like we're outdoors. We're, you know, we're, we're on the lake and they're in a swimsuit. But anyway, she put a full like base foundation on her face. I think I'm using that terminology correctly. And she looked like, <laughs> I guess the term is ashy, like pretty gray faced. Ooh. And it was fucking bad and like that was a shoot where i was like okay makeup artists can make or break a fucking shoot and so i was like she was like the last model i needed to shoot and the makeup artist i think was getting paid per hour per hour and so her time was starting to wrap up and so i just i went up to the model and i was like hey makeup artist is about to leave just chill we're just gonna pretend to shoot and then when she packs her stuff up i want you to go to the bathroom i want to wipe i want you to wipe all that shit off your face and we're just gonna shoot you with your eye like all your eyeliner and shit that they gave you but we're gonna take all your foundation off and <laughs> shoot your natural skin which she had gorgeous natural skin she didn't need anything on her face and uh but yes other trades can uh make or break i didn't you know that's uh stylist can do that too though like if the stylist sucks at their job and that their clothes distract from the shoot in a bad way that that could be bad but you know seek people out who are better than you and it's not just about the experience you gain it's about the connections you make because i've noticed that i noticed that the second i started shooting uh agency models other agency models started following me 
And then these other agency models started reaching out to me. And I was like, cool. And then when their agency sees that you've worked with like three or four of their models, they're like, oh, okay. And you approach them about an idea that you're already on their radar because they're starting to like your posts and stuff like that. So, you know, it puts you on that radar, but you gotta, you gotta be brave enough to do it. And, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these models and hair and makeup artists and all that, they're all in the same industry. It's a small industry. So like, they're not going to like bite your head off if you reach out to them. They may, I mean, they, they may, they may not look at your, your DM, which, cause they're getting a million DMs. And if you're not following each other, you may just show up and, uh, and a request and they may just delete those. But, uh, you know, that's why it's, it's good to play as we talked about in the models uh, episode, the back and forth in the comments, uh, of their posts, just be like, Oh, this is a really nice set. They see your com- they see your comment. And now you're at the very least a blip on their radar. But if you end up in the requests, they they may never see it. I'll tell you what. Uh, just you know, a, a quick tip that you made me think of immediately is if you want to grow and you want to have an enormous advantage over everyone else, and it's not that the, not, not not that it's a competition, but like you want to level up your game. Do your damnedest to find a team that you can work well with. Find a stylist and a makeup artist, even a hairstylist, that might be a bit much, but find a team that shoots within your niche, that like shoots the similar vibes to you and that you work well with. Test with them, grow with them, make ideas with them because as soon as you start acting and shooting as a unit, the the bet like I'm not joking like your work will just skyrocket. Rome wasn't built in a day, and it takes a village. Yeah, elevate together. I mean, that's that's the other thing is um, another thing we talked about in the models episode is you know when you start off like oh I started reaching out to models on this Facebook group and that's the very 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 bottom you know but guess what those models a lot of those models I, I was working with a lot of them have kind of gone up the tiers with me and are some of them are with agencies now and some of them have taken their digitals and then they got into agencies off my digital so it's like oh this is really cool to see i'm i'm, I'm super proud of them and you know we have a uh we have a fashion week here uh, in Austin. We're not a very fashion-forward city, but we do have a fashion week here, and some of them uh, walk out fashion week, and I go see them and uh, applaud for them. Even though I'm not really into event photography, I don't shoot at fashion week because I, I think I think uh, runway photography is boring. But it's it's like the Super Bowl for models and stylists because they get to show off their their work. But um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, I mean. Growing as a unit, growing as a group. I mean, I I tend to use the same uh, makeup artists and all that. And you know, when you're, you you do you do need to vet these people because I know a lot of makeup artists who like do wedding, like they do wedding makeup, and wedding makeup is borderline glam makeup. And and they, you know, if you're trying to do some avant garde, off the wall thing, and they don't have anything like that in their portfolio, like like at least look for it. Like, can you do avant garde? Because I have seen some makeup artists uh, attempts to do that. Like they do a beautiful natural look, which by the way, if you're a photographer, uh, one of the hardest things for makeup artists to do is to make it look like someone's not wearing makeup. Like, cause even, even when you see like a beauty ad, like for Olay or Pons or any of those types of, uh, those types of ads, they're actually wearing makeup. Uh, you don't realize it because the makeup artists who are working on them are so damn talented that they can make a natural skin makeup look. And it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I have super mad respect for that. Um, but 
point being is if that's what they do, but they can't do like really avant-garde crazy color stuff, they might make your model look like a fucking clown. So you got to be, you got to be super careful on that kind of stuff. The same goes for stylists though too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I work with a stylist and, um, they were, they're a phenomenal stylist I might add, but it just, it wasn't the right fit. And so I sent them a mood board where I, I wanted a very dictatorial look because that's what I like. I like trench coats. I like shiny black boots. I like olive green. I like leather gloves and I like really, really stern haircuts and facial expressions. It's quite a kink. Yeah, it's, you know what, when, when you major in Russian Eastern European studies, it just, it, it comes with the degree. And so I, I show up at their place, uh, you know, early, early, early before the shoot. And they, they show me everything that they've got. <laughs> and this is, a, it's a submission for a magazine and they, they, they they had a rack full of like Argyle and fucking pastel sweaters for me. I was like, have you ever seen my work? Like, and I was, I was just so, I, I, is that, is I that the equivalent? Is that the equivalent of a, uh, of a model approaching you about elf ears? But from a stylist uh, perspective, kind. I wasn't upset. I was just like, okay, this isn't the shoot. We're just going to make another shoot on the fly. And that was that. <laughs> Did they not? Did they not send you like the stuff ahead of time, or did they just show up with it? No, they didn't. They were running late. Oh, it was kind sucks. of. It, it went from like it, it was pretty chaotic. You are listening to the F Eleven Photography Podcast. That is a really great segue moment for us to transition into mood boards. So uh, another thing you can do to improve yourself as a photographer. Uh, if you shoot human subjects, I don't really think you'd do this with landscape, but uh, you do this with other other genres too, commercial genres and things like that, uh, product photography, mood boards, so and food photography. You know, it's funny. I learned that there's a I, – I, I, I didn't realize this, but they have food stylists. Yep. I was like, a, a what? And like a food stylist. I was like, what the fuck is a food stylist? It's like it's they're wrong. like stylists. <laughs> they're like stylists for clothes, but they style food. And I was like – but it's like a Burger King burger. Like, what the, what the fuck do you need a stylist for? It's like, oh, no, the, the, well, half the shit on that burger is not even real. It's all like, they like put like plastic tomatoes on there and stuff. And so, oh, okay, cool. So Wait till I mean, you hear about the food gaffer. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you're listening and you're a food stylist, my most sincere apologies, but I, I'm just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, like you go home for Thanksgiving. What do you do, Johnny? I'm a food stylist. I'm doing what? it right now. <laughs> you want to talk about an argument at the thing? Like, what the fuck is a food stylist? Like, I'm just a food eater, but, um, but anyway, mood boards. So, uh, it goes into our last episode where we talk about shooting with intention, shooting with intention requires planning. And if you just show up, you might get some really awesome, spontaneous things. I've done it from experience, but I've also noticed that my shoots that, um, are my best shoots were planned and they had a lot of work that went into them. And what, what is a mood board? If you're not, if you're, if you're following along and you don't really know a lot about mood boards, what could a mood board consist of? So when I do a mood board, I usually will use a program like Canva. Now, mo a lot of models uh, or, or other people that you work with, they'll use um, Pinterest. But here's my, here's my one issue at Pinterest. I think Pinterest can be a really good front line to find some inspiration. But I find that the, um, the algorithm is super repetitive. And I know this because every, like every first time I work with a model – um, and I'll, I'll get into this later, which is a, the do your homework part. And I've touched on this in the past 
is I have them go through my portfolio and pick things out that they like, blah, blah, blah. So I know the style that I want them to shoot. I want them to be shot in, but the, um, I'll be like, Hey, put together a mood board of stuff that inspires you of poses, outfits, things like that. And I would say that 25 to 50% of my mood boards have the same, at least one or two pictures that repeat. Like there's this, there's like, anytime I do a black and white studio shoot, there's like this pose of this model, like kind of laying on this little square thing that comes a couple feet off the ground. And she's in like this really awesome pose. I think it's one of the Jenners. I don't know. I don't follow that shit, but every model like shows me that in their, in their mood board. And that, that's what lets me know that the algorithms on Pinterest need a little bit of work because I end up getting the exact same mood boards almost like, like at least half the mood board is like, Oh, I've gotten this one of the last model who sent me a mood board. So I try to move models off of Pinterest and I try to get them uh, at least into a Google search, um, just to try a different algorithm out. And then we use a program uh, called Canva, which is just a web-based program. You can get a free account and then you can just make pages and then they have a really cool thing where there's a little color thing up in the upper left. And when you click on the little color icon, it'll analyze all the pictures you put in your mood board and it'll spit out like a, a little color uh, swatch of like, here's all the different colors that uh, you are, have on your mood board. And it kind of like gives you a basis. And what's great about that is if you're going to approach a stylist about, hey, uh, these are the colors that we're really feeling for this. So as Brandon talked about, oh, I like olive and black and all that. Well, he's putting together a mood board to give to a stylist. Um, this person who's shown up with the Argyle and shit, they'd be like, oh, this Argyle uh, doesn't work with this mood board that Brandon sent me and none of the colors are right. And and so it gives you a nice collaborative environment to start with. Uh, and But Brandon, tell me, how what do you use for mood boards? How do you do more? How do you do mood boards? I am so glad you asked, Kevin. Well, let me tell you, I do. I did start with Pinterest for a while, and now I've switched over to Milanote. It's a great online platform. That you can get the free version, which gives you a couple boards, a lot of creativity. All right, I'm going to turn that off now. No, so I definitely agree that Pinterest um, does get repetitive. I do still use Pinterest quite often. Um, I, I honestly often reference old boards on Pinterest and I make sure that each board is vastly, vastly different. You do have to do a little bit of digging with the with the search bar, but you can find some pretty weird off the wall stuff on Pinterest. And so I have a lot of my stuff broken down there as, as an inspo. And then from there, I change details like makeup, hair, clothes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now I will take photos from Pinterest and I'll put them in a folder and then I'll move that folder and create an entire shoot itinerary on Milanote, which is essentially just a, a blank board where you just drag and drop modules and you can like draw arrows pointing to one thing. You, they've got swatches included, you include Pantones and like hyperlinks and like just everything you need, call sheets and all that. Um, as well as that, I also definitely believe that the most that you're going to get from Pinterest is kind of just like not mediocre is the wrong word. No, mediocre is the right word. Remember how we talk about on Instagram because Instagram's all algorithmic. We're like, yeah. Hey, if you want to look like everybody else, you, 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 you get inspired from Instagram. If you want right. to have the exact same mood boards as everyone else, you use Pinterest. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of just like right down the middle quality where it's, it's not bad quality by any means. It's not avant-garde. It's kind of just like right down the middle. Um, so if you're looking for something that you really want to push the envelope, um, there's absolutely no shame in, 
first of all, find a fashion designer that you like. Okay. Find a fashion designer that, that you want to shoot like that you, you know, that's in line with your work and go check out their campaigns. Look at past campaigns, look at, look at uh, past shoots of theirs, makeup and all that stuff. That's where you're going to find the cream of the crop stuff to not only emulate, but learn from, you know, study the light patterns, study, study how they uh, lit the shot, study the color wheel. You know, what are the, what are the colors of the shadows? What are the colors of the highlights? And then if you build your mood board out of that, not only do you have something like a high bar set for yourself, but in order to come close to that high bar, you actually have to improve and put a lot of thought into your shot. And not only that, but it makes the model really, really fucking excited to see that, oh, we're going to shoot for Heliot Emile's fucking 2021, you know, fall catalog. Let's do that. Like, that's sick. Absolutely. And uh, the program that you use, Canva, they're all, they the general uh, basis of them is the same. They have different features. Some are better than others. There are some areas of Canva that are better and et cetera. But it just, it just depends on what you're into. But like the general basis for making a mood board is you're, you're putting your plan together. You're like poses, looks, location, colors, hair, makeup. I have, uh, I usually have a page. If I'm doing a big shoot, I have a page at least of each area. And then the nice thing I like about Canva, and I'm sure you can do it with your program is uh, I can invite all the other people to collaborate and they can drag and drop. So like the makeup artist can drag and drop pictures and upload them and then put them in my little template. And then we have this compilation. Um, like I did a, I did a fashion shoot, uh, this, this fashion shoot where they wanted to like emulate like animals in the jungle. It was, it was like, uh, I had a, I had a giraffe. I had a, a, a a panther had sex panther. Sorry. I had, <laughs> had, to, had to throw out a, had to throw out a, 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 a anchorman joke there. Um, we had, uh, all these different like, you know, peacock stuff like that. And then like within each animal, we had our own types of poses. So like a flamingo obviously would have a long leg, you know, so we, we, we really drew this out. It was like a, it was like a 20 page mood board because we had to have a mood board for each individual animal. And then they had their own hair and their own style of uh, clothing and their posing and the color scheme and all that. And, uh, and it was really cool. And in, and like what Brandon was saying with going to old Pinterest boards, I actually go to my old Canva boards and my old Pinterest boards and I'll go in and I'll, I'll borrow from them. And like, I kind of like where, cause sometimes the reason why this is a good idea is sometimes you show up with your mood board and the stylist shows up with fucking Argyle sweaters and shit. And you're like, well, I didn't really execute the idea I set out to execute. So I'm going to pull it up for a later shoot. That's the nice thing about these programs is that they save everything. And so you can go, I have a, I have a shoot I want to do in the West Texas oil fields one day and I still haven't gotten around to doing it. And I just keep kicking the can down the road until the right opportunity comes along. Um, I'm, I may actually alter it. I think I'm going to do them in the uh, refineries in Houston next time I'm in town. Um, but speaking of color, something that can really help you out quite a bit with mood boards. There is a website, and this is not any sort of sponsor because nobody sponsors this podcast yet. Sorry. Yet. Um, yet one day. Uh, it's called Peloton, not Peloton, not the, not the, not the bike that you see people ride around on. And then they'll tell you every five minutes that they have a Peloton bike, you know, kind of like people who CrossFit, they won't shut the fuck up about it. Mm. It's like, I have a $3,000 debt That's true. that I put on the curb in February because I didn't follow through my, uh, with my, uh, new year's resolution. But anyway, Peloton, P A 
L-E-T-T-O-N. If you ever find yourself on a set and you have an internet connection, which you should because you probably have at least cellular service, bookmark Peloton.com. Because what's cool about Peloton.com is they have a HSI color wheel and you can move it around. And then there's a little place up there where it's like, oh, I want to do like adjacent colors. I want to do a triad of three colors. Uh, I want to do a tetrad of four colors or whatever, or freestyle four colors. And then it puts a swatch together. As you move things around, it puts a swatch together. And when I don't have a stylist on set with me, uh, boy, this thing comes in handy when I'm trying to like synchronize a backdrop to, or when I'm trying to match a backdrop to an outfit, I can just go, okay, it's about that color. And I can start moving the wheel around and go, okay, I need to do this particular uh, backdrop to make it work. And so, uh, you know, that's just another notch to have in your belt, something that you can do to, uh, to, to be better, to make your pictures look better. Now, Brandon doesn't like colors, so, you know, he, well, he, he desaturates. Oh, I'm no, fucking with you. No, no, no. You're, no, you're <laughs> absolutely right. But it's, it's not that I don't like the, it's that I have a massive fear with color. I don't know how to, I don't know how to manage it. I don't think that way. Right. So I could never, like, I've been doing my best to style people, but I only style people with really monotone or like very easy, easy stuff. Um, because I don't work well with color. I don't see it very well. It's like, it's like, I'm the same with interior design. If you pay me to design the inside of my apartment, I couldn't fucking do it. Like, I just don't think that way. I'm not good at that either, which is why I need this, this Peloton oh, I, that, website. That would help me so much. Yeah. Like I, I have it bookmarked. So like, cause I, um, I shoot tethered, which by the way is going to be one of the things we talk about here. It's probably the thing we're going to go to next, but I shoot tethered. So I always have my laptop with me in a studio shoot. And so I can just tab on over to my, um, my, my Google Chrome browser and pull up Peloton. Um, and it also helps too, if you use gels. So I like to use gels. Uh, actually that's not true. That's a lie. I don't like to use gels for the very reason that Brandon is afraid of color. I fucking hate using gels because not only do you have to like take your modifier off and then find the gel color and match it up. It's oh, like, it's, it's, it's very laborious, like, All like right. using gels. As a matter of fact, I am looking at maybe getting some lights that have uh, like 16 million colors in them this Friday. Uh, some led lights for the studio that get fairly bright. I just got to make sure they can get to like F8, F11, which is what I like to shoot at. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I, I don't like uh, using gels, but in the, when I, when I, I nut up and I use gels. <laughs> uh, I usually end up getting really good results. And I use this Peloton.com site because it it helps me out in a way that I don't think I'm naturally good at. But I have noticed that the more and more I use this site, the better I get at color coordinating. So it's just it's no different than going, I don't know how to use I don't know how to do manual focus on my lens very well. I have to rely on autofocus. Well, try shooting a manual focus for a few sessions. You'll get better at it. It's no different than anything else. You practice at it. And so um, but yeah, mood boards, back to the point, mood boards are, are so important. They can be such powerful tools. And if, if you're driven by moving up tiers and being a better photographer, uh, you know, just, I, 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 I get it. You take a picture and then one five hundredth of a second or one eight thousandth of a second, it, it's over, right? You, you captured it, but that's not really how it works. You got to do post-production. You got to plan like what you captured, what you put into that eight thousandth of a second or whatever. If it doesn't have a lot of thought behind it, it goes back to what we talked about in the last episode of shooting with intention. If you're one of those photographers who um, just like takes pictures of 
empty things. It's kind of like that term empty calories. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just like empty calories or empty stats and in, in sports. It's like soulless. okay, you took a picture of something that was aesthetically pleasing and technically perfect, but I'm bored. I'll tell you what, something a really really good practice you sh- you should start implementing in your shoots is and well first of all fucking when you make your mood board use it during the shoot don't just use it to plan so that you and the model are on the same page fucking like reference it have it open during the shoot because otherwise it's just you're, you're going you know you have no direction yeah on bigger shoots i have it on an ipad right off the side and i usually will pass it to like stylists and go are you following this are we are we on track oh yeah so, yeah absolutely and then the other thing is of that mood board pick at least one shot that you really like that you're inspired by that is much better than your work and fucking dedicate time to trying to get like emulate that shot perfectly because what you'll find and I I did this recently and it was amazing I found that I I spent fucking 25 minutes on this shot moving the light turning the light down changing the pose you know it, it was a whole it was a whole like workshop trying to like get this light and then when I finally got the shot the model and I we, it, it, it was like you know we knew that it wasn't our shot that's all well and good but it changes the way you see things that you start seeing the details a lot better and it's training yourself to look for those details because there's no other way to see that shit than to practice seeing it. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to that episode. Uh, we talked about emulation. Um, we, if you, sometimes when you emulate something that you see, you get a notch on your belt and then you figure out how to, take that idea and do your own thing with it to where the person who did it probably isn't going to call you out on it. You know, like, like, Oh, okay. You were just learning something about yourself. This is Jason Berkman and you're listening to the F 11 photography podcast. Let's talk about shooting tethered. So this is something that I love to do and there are so many advantages to it. I have a YouTube channel for those of you who, uh, who don't know that. And Brandon does too, by the way. Uh, but I shoot tethered and I'm actually, Uh, I've been working on this episode since like October about shooting tethered. I just don't have enough footage yet. So it's slow, slowly going to happen, but there's so many advantages to shooting tethered. Uh, So first and foremost, one of the things that I do is I do testing for new models. So they are green. Like they just got signed to a modeling agency. They have not yet been shaped into whatever they want. The, they've not yet been shaped into whatever the agency is going to try to shape them into at this point in time. They've basically been signed. They've been given some sort of a, a, a menu of, hey, here's four, four photographers to reach out to. Here's their rates. And then I happened to be the one that they reached out to. And so uh, I know that when these people reach out to me that they are green models. They don't know shit about shit yet. They don't know their bodies. They don't know how they photograph in front of cameras for the most part. Um, that they, they tend to be on the green side. And so something that I do um, is that I, I shoot them tethered and I, I use capture one and I go HDMI out of my laptop into a gigantic 70 inch TV on a rolling cart. And I do that because even the best of the best models, the supermodels, Jerry Hall, Cindy Crawford, um, all these models, they would have a mirror off to the side back before tethering was a thing back when they shot on film and the models would have this big, uh, you know, life-size mirror off to the side. So when the photographer was giving them directions, they could just look over 90 degrees and work on their pose. And then they, because it was through a mirror, they would reverse it for the photographer. And so 
Uh, that is an age-old trick that models have used to be better. And we li- what, one of the great things about digital is that at the speed of light, we can have all this stuff just you know come out of uh, a television, and they can see uh, right after they do a shot, right after they pose for a shot and the, the shutter goes off, it'll display. Now, it's not real-time in the sense that they're not seeing their movements in real-time. They're not seeing like what I'm seeing in my camera, but... If I take a shot of somebody and a half a second later they see the shot, they can go look at the monitor and go, oh, I need to move my hand up. Or if I'm giving them a micro adjustment uh, coaching, they can look up and go, oh, I know what he means because I can see myself on the television. I can see the perspective because, um, you know, in the modeling episode, we talked about what we looked for in models. We talked about the fact that we, we like models who know their bodies in front of a camera because we only have so much bandwidth. Brandon pointed out that we only have so much bandwidth and we're going to miss framing and things like that if we're too busy, like over coaching the model. So one of the ways you can build confidence in a, a new model is with tethering. And uh, if you're building their confidence as the shoot goes on, you're going to get better results and then the agency is going to be super happy with you. And this isn't just agency shoots. This is any shoot in a studio. If you can do tethered, I cannot recommend enough that you shoot tethered. And then there's there's the etiquette aspect of it. First and foremost, I hope if you're listening to this, don't ever fucking touch a model. Like you should be able to direct somebody without touching them. It's, it's, it's no different than uh, the model, you know, knowing how to pose. It's just a checklist of things you should know as a photographer when you're directing a model is you should never, ever put your hands on them, period. And one way you can definitely guarantee that you don't have to is if you, if you tell somebody to move their hand up and you're like, no, 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 not there. And then you grab it and you move it where you want it to go. That's inappropriate etiquette. And we're going to do an entire episode on that, but there's absolutely no reason for you to do that in the first place. Cause you can just walk right over to the monitor and go, you see how your hand's here. If you could just put it up here and just like you point up where you want it to go and then they move their hand up and then you didn't have to touch them and you're lawsuit free. So, uh, that is another reason why I love to shoot, uh, models tethered and then another reason and i'm gonna let brandon comment on this because i know he doesn't shoot tethered which mm-hmm. is why he's in the listening mode and not a talking <laughs> mode right now i'm over here and like sitting crisscross applesauce the other reason why i love to shoot models tethered it goes back to what we talked about in our last episode there's actually two parts to this one take less pictures if they can make a if they can improve in real time you get to your final result faster. And so you don't have to take 25 shots in a session because they go, I see what I need to fix. They fix it. You take a picture. Both of you look at the monitor and go, yep. And then you move on to the next shot. You don't have to take the same shot seven times. You take it once. You both agree. You're seeing at 70 inches. So as a photographer, you know, yep, that's in focus. I nailed it. No problem. I got what I needed. You're doing an eighth inch shutter drag. You can look at what the flash did, what the LED light did or whatever, whatever lights you're getting to interact with one another. You can actually see that thing blown up right in front of your face. Then you can, you can make that determination and you go, yes, I nailed this. Let's move on to the next thing. You can move faster. That's one way you can move faster. The other way you can move faster. If you do not shoot tethered, how do you build confidence with the model? I know exactly how you build confidence with the model. You go walk up to the model and you show them the back of the camera and you're chipping through shots you're showing them the back of the camera and you're wasting a whole lot of fucking time you could be shooting because you're, you're looking at the shots. If you're tethered, they can look over real quick, see the shot, go, fuck yeah, I'm killing it. Keep going. They can stay in their flow pose. You never have to turn around and show them the back of the camera because it's all going to your laptop or just going to a television. It's saving you a ton of time. You have to take less shots. Therefore, you have to call less shots. Therefore, you have less shots you need to worry about editing. And that's how you get down from like a 2,500 shot session to like a 
two, 300 shot, shot session because I'm burping. Hold on. I, just, I had coffee. <sighs> and that's how you get from like a 2,500 shot session down to like a two or a 300 shot session because you're more efficient. And uh, being able to see how things are working out in real time helps you fine tune your sessions. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I absolutely tether when I can. Now, uh, I work in a community space, so sometimes the television is not available here, but I, I can turn around my laptop if I need to. And Capture One also does have a, um, a really cool thing where you can just put the Capture One pilot program on your laptop. I mean, Capture One has this really cool uh, thing where you can put a free app called Capture One Pilot on an iPad. And so you can just put an iPad on a chair next to the model. And if you don't have a big TV, it'll just beam everything wirelessly. It's only about a half a second delay and they can see their, uh, their shots that way. So, uh, we live in a great time for instant feedback. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why that's several of the reasons why I shoot tethered. So what are your thoughts on that? Since you don't shoot tethered? Um, I definitely like, yeah, definitely hearing that. I, I know that not shooting tethered is just putting an extra strain on my bandwidth. Um, I, I don't show the models, the, the back of the camera, unless I know that I need to. So, you know, if I sense that they're not sure, you know, just how great they're doing, I'll show them the back of the camera. Or if they're doing really, really fucking well, I'll show them the back of the camera so that they relax even more because usually if they're, if they're killing it and I show them the back of the camera, suddenly they're just like, okay, I'm doing that well. I don't need to stress about it. And then they start getting into the creative mode. They start doing like off the wall shit. That's really fun to shoot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it allows you, the visual feedback allows you to take things in a different directions, but, uh, definitely think though, uh, I think you should give it a shot because I think that if you give it a shot, uh, you'll see that you'll take less pictures because you'll get to the result faster. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of, I have a lot of misfires. So one, one problem I do have, and I, I, I probably shouldn't say this on, on here, but my camera has a fuck. It has a big issue with focusing at like, at like F 11 in a studio when I only have like one or two model lights on, like I need it to be bright as fuck in there. Otherwise it doesn't like focus very well. So I'll be taking shots on shots. And like, like sometimes when it's really bad, it'll be every third or fourth shot is actually like in focus. So that's not something I want on the screen. It's, it's more like if I know that I can nail the shot each time, then it'd be like conducive to have it on the screen. But like there, there are some shoots where the studio is just not conducive to, um, to the actual like shooting itself. Yeah. So the, the solution to that problem is to shoot on Canon or Sony and then you never have to worry about misfires. God. Although, uh, if you have Sony, you'll have really fucking shitty color science. Sorry, Sony users. Everything oh looks God. too black. It comes out looking like a cartoon, <laughs> dude. Just kidding. Everybody has their thing that they're into. Uh, I'm just not into Sony. So uh, it's more of the menus than anything. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I just, I, I guess I don't have that problem. But I I do have that problem on uh, my GFX. That thing is slow as fuck. Um, and I tell models beforehand, I'm like, hey, this camera, like when it hits, it's a portfolio shot, but it misses a lot. And I tell, I tell models, like when we shoot on, like, you're going to have some poses that you're going to be like, I nailed it. And then when I give you the stuff back, you're going to be like, where, where's that shot that was like, cause I missed this, this camera misses. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so slow. But when you nail, it's just like, Oh, there's a portfolio shot. Okay. Like you can usually get one a session out of it. And it's like, all right, well that's uh that's, that's important. So, uh, but yeah, shooting tethered, 
I, I personally, I love doing it. Now I don't always do it. Um, there are times when like, I'm just lazy. And also I, I find that the more experienced the model is, the more confident the model is, uh, sometimes they don't need to shoot tethered, especially if it's somebody I've worked with like a million times. It's like, no, 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 we, we already know what we're doing and we just go through and then we look at everything when we're done. But, um, but I do highly recommend, especially if you start working with agencies and you do testing for new models who are not very experienced. That's a really great way. And not even like agency models, just any, any subject that you take a picture of. Like when I do headshots of, I don't do corporate headshots very often. Um, but Sometimes somebody wants to pay me a lot of money to do it and Hey, money's awesome. So I will do like a corporate headshot session with somebody who's just some business guy or whatever. And, uh, I'll shoot tethered. Then they think it's cool. As I said, it's good as a confidence builder, especially for non-models when they see themselves through the monitor, through, you know, through like a $10,000 camera setup and like, Oh shit, this looks great. And then they're more likely to recommend you to other people. Cause like, Oh yeah, I got to see myself in real time. And, that, and then all of a sudden you become a headshot photographer, which is what you wanted to do. You're like, damn it. He keeps recommending me. So uh, maybe, maybe, maybe don't, don't shoot tethered if it's a genre that you don't want to do often. I guess that's, I guess that's really the takeaway here. That's, that's what we've been trying to get to all along. We just finally arrived. You are listening to the F11 photography podcast. So we talked about shooting tethered. Uh, I think we're going to shift gears now to another topic, uh, tips I've learned to improve my photography. And that is make clients do their homework. And what do I mean by that? So I'm sure it's super flattering if you're a photographer and someone reaches out to you and they're like, Hey, I really love your photography. I want you to do this project for me. And it could be any type of project. It could be like a lifestyle shoot. It could be a wedding. It could be modeling. It could be whatever. It could be product photography. And then when we talked about mood boards, like, so what I do, and I don't do this for my ego. Uh, I do this for my homework. If a model, if a, if, a, if a subject, a person reaches out to me for a portrait session, which is primarily what I do, I'll be like, okay, uh, go through my portfolio and find your five favorite shots uh, that you see that are shot in the style you want me to shoot you in. I, I, that doesn't mean pick your five favorite shots of mine that, I've ever, that you see. Pick your five favorite shots of mine that are shot in a style that you want me to shoot you in. That's the assignment. And I do that for several reasons. One, I need to see if the person actually has a plan because if somebody reaches out to you to do a portrait session, but they can't really tell you what they want to have done, it's really hard to gauge if you're going to be a good fit for them, if you're going to meet their expectations, et cetera. And it also gives me uh, a little bit of a, a cheat, a little cheat code because they might come back with five shots that I took at 85 millimeters. I'm like, clearly they love that perspective or maybe they're, they like more environmental portraits and I took them at 35 millimeters and they choose 35 millimeters. Uh, maybe I've, I've actually had, uh, for those of you who don't know, I shoot on Canon R5, a Fuji X-H2 and then a Fuji GFX. And then I shoot on film. I shoot on a lot of different systems. I've actually had clients come back and they picked five shots. I shot on medium format digital. Like it was like, clearly this is a Fuji GFX project. I've also had some where it's like a mix of everything. <laughs> it's like shit, but um, but it's it's good to do that kind of uh to make them do that homework for you because it, it's like a cheat sheet. It's a little cheat code that helps you kind of hone in on if you're a good fit and if you are a good fit, what lenses you're going to use, what camera system you're going to use, etc. And then um, 
the other thing about that whole process is like, uh, for weddings, for instance, um, you know, there's, there are creative, some genres of photography are more creative than others and other genres are more uh, consumer driven. So if you're listening to this and you shoot weddings or you shoot boudoir or you shoot family, uh, stuff, it's going to be very cookie cutter, a request from the client. You know, it's not really genres that lend themselves well, headshots, especially, uh, they see what they want and that's what they want for themselves. They're not asking you to go in and come up with your beautiful, uh, uh, decrepit Eastern European, uh, Russian okay, concept. Okay, okay. Um, they, they want, they want, they want like balloons and happiness and they want their, uh, Easter photos out in the middle of a field. And, uh, by the way, I actually think I think you should do an editorial of a family shoot, like, like an Easter shoot, but like do it with a family, but do it like Eastern European. I don't know. Like I, I, I'll have to go over the concept with you, but I, you just edit it that way, make it all like dark and you know, but they're all, but they're all smiling with, with, of course they also have to have like really like dirty teeth, but, um, but anyway, uh, smiling in Eastern European is, is an oxymoron right there, my dear. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's the point. It's the juxtaposition of the emotions and all that. But, um, so, but you, you know, well, the reason I bring up these consumer-driven types of um, photography is, like I said, if you're a boudoir photographer, you're a wedding photographer, you sit down with the client and you you go, okay, what do you like? And they're just going to show you like all this cookie-cutter shit. Well, when it comes to me specifically, I shoot weddings, but I do it in a very editorial style. And I do it in the same style that I shoot models with. And that's a very specific thing. And... If you look at the wedding industry specifically, it's a very preset driven industry. A lot of the stuff looks the same. And if that, if that's the kind of thing that drives you crazy as a photographer, you're probably not in the right genre of photography um, because the client wins. They're the ones who are paying you $5,000 to shoot their wedding. And so you're going to use the goddamn cookie cutter presets because that's what they want. Now, what I do is I sit down with a prospective uh, couple and I go, this is my work. This is what my work looks like. If what you want does not look like my work, do not hire me because I can't make my stuff look like other people's stuff. I can only make my stuff look like my stuff because I don't use presets. And so uh, I weed out potential wedding clients that way. And I've done it. I mean, I've said no. And that's, that's another thing is you need to learn how to say no to clients. Um, and we can do a whole episode on business and, and saying no to clients, but you need to turn people down who aren't a good fit for you because you're, you're disarming a bomb that will go off later. And it's an expectation bomb. It's the, it's the, Oh, we hired you for this project and what we got. And, and keep in mind, if you're not new to wedding photography, keep in mind, if you're new to wedding photography, these things plan out over a long period of time. So you're leading somebody down a road for a really long time. And that's why I weed people out at the very first meeting I have, even before we put together a shot list, it's like, Hey, am I a good fit for you? Because if I'm not, this is the time to have the conversation. Cause if you morph your mood board, cause I, I make, I make uh, wedding prospective wedding clients put together mood boards of everything they want. And if it's, if it doesn't look like something I feel like I can shoot, I'm just like, nah, I'm not doing it. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what I do. I have clients do their homework. I, I think that works uh, best for avoiding, you know, bear traps to step in. 
Dude, I have such a loose array of what I shoot sometimes. Some of my shots look like, you know, uh, 60s portraits of Paul Newman, and some other shots look like, you know, they're uh, movie stills of The Matrix. And there's not a whole lot of in-between. Well, I mean, I guess there is a lot of in-between there. But <laughs> I've recently... Um, I had a client reach out, a really cool dude, and uh, he presented me with five shots that he wanted to emulate uh, for our shoot. And he's not a model, but um, he was he was he was okay at modeling. And the shots he sent me, all all five of them were different. And so, you know, I I don't I, I didn't I should probably start drilling clients more about what they want out of the photo session. But I always assume that they're thinking ahead of time that like okay. I'm going to get an amalgamation of what I see on the Instagram and not much outside of it. Well, and that that uh, goes into what we talked about uh, in our models episode, which is a lot of times we have non-models reach out to us and they see work that we do with professional models and they don't realize how much work goes into some of these shoots. And so like, I want to look like something like that. And they don't realize how much mood boarding and preparation and all that goes into it. And so uh, when they come up to you with a very disjointed idea with absolutely no continuity in the types of shots whatsoever, I mean, that's something that we learn. Like, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they don't do this all the time. They just – they see something and go, that's cool, but maybe they don't really have the artistic eye because – if they did, they'd take the damn shots themselves or whatever. And so that's what they're depending on us to do, whether they realize it or not, is we have to go, hold on a second. These don't all go together. Do you want a piece that has continuity? And if it does, it's my job at this very early meeting to hit the reset button and recalibrate your expectations, maybe refocus the shoot on where it needs to go. And then if that if that if you end up at an impasse there, then that lets you know not to work with that client. Yeah, and something that you do have to say, which um, I do say, is, and it's it's kind of a difficult thing to say because uh, clients don't want to hear this. It's it's not my job to make you look like you've had thirteen years of modeling, you know, under your belt. Like I cannot direct you to naturally look like a model on camera. It's not my job, you know. I can I can edit similar ways. I can set up the lighting in similar ways. I can use similar colors and similar lenses, all that good stuff. And I can like coach you to, you know, get a nice Rembrandt and kind of like, you know, relax, you know, different parts of your face and, and to, you know, change shoulder posturing and, you know, little stuff like that. But it's like, I can't, you know, you're not going to look like Paul Newman. Well, a professional model. And we, we touched upon this, uh, in great detail in our modeling episode, Professional models practice uh, poses a lot to the point where they become effortless. It's not to say that what they're doing is easy. It's what they're doing is practiced. And the, the, the key element here is effort. They get to the point, a professional model, where a pose is effortless. And therefore, they can, instead of them on camera appearing like they're thinking about a pose, they are naturally in that pose and now they have elevated themselves up another tier where it's like, okay, now I can concentrate on what I'm doing with my face. Maybe I'm, I have a little 500 yard stare. I'm, I squinch my eyes a little bit or whatever. Or I have a, a less strong pose because the point of the shoot is the close. It's a fashion shoot, so I need to be more in the background with my facial expressions. They can work that part of their, of their, um, of their craft. When you deal with a non-model who has no experience, their absolute ceiling is getting to that pose with all the effort in the world. 
They have to work at that. And so the the key difference there is effort. If you are effortlessly hitting that pose, your work will look better than someone who has to put all their effort just to hit that base pose because it's the first time they've ever done it. You know, their shoulders aren't relaxed or whatever. They're just not. It clearly looks like they got coached to that versus somebody who's like, I just nailed this shit and I'm on a much bigger level now and I'm doing way more, you know, like, cause, cause like for instance, you could tell a model to get in this really um, cool pose or a subject, I should say, as we, as we said in the last episode, if you're, if you don't know how to model your subject, you're not a model. If you coach a subject to a pose, like I said, their, their peak is getting to that pose. But then the, the other model is like, well, I already hit that base pose. Now I can do something else to make the image more interesting. I can flick my dress to where it's like creating motion or something. In addition, they can add an extra element to it to make it a more interesting picture. And they're always going to have that advantage. Even if they are both in the exact same pose, one is going to look effortless and the other one is going to look coached at the, like I said, the very top of that that person's ceiling is the very bottom of that model's floor because that model, like I said, create motion, do something with their hair, uh, concentrate more on their facial expression. But cause you can't get a, a subject, a non model to do all 12 of those things without them just looking like they're a fucking puppet and you're a ventriloquist. Yeah. And so, and so I always have those expectation meetings with m- m- subjects who look at stuff I do with professional models. I'm like, look, like this is where your expectations have to be. If we exceed it, great. But like, you're not. I mean, it's not about how pretty you are. Everybody I shoot is attractive. So uh, you, how pretty you are has nothing to do with any of this. It has to do with how well you know your body in front of a camera. And so, so yeah. I mean, having having these people do their homework is important, and, and it's it's more important for non models for subjects because if you're trying to coach them into something, like you got maybe you know. A lot of times they don't know what they want, as we said, and so they just like give you like this smorgasbord of like um, of like poses, and you know, like like I said, sometimes they come back and like it's all shot with different camera systems with different lenses. One's in a studio with a white backdrop. The other one is like you know downtown Austin with the Capitol in the background. And it's like, where are you going with this? Because like what you like of mine. Like, cause that's, that's why I say, I don't say choose your five favorite shots because if I went through your portfolio and I chose my five favorite shots, they'd probably all be very different shoots. And you'd have to be a chick. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's very true. But if I chose my favorite, my five favorite shots of yours, like they would probably be very different. That's why I don't say it that way. I say, pick your favorite five shots of a style that I've done that you want to be shot in that style because then it kind of hopefully gets them to kind of tailor like, Oh, I just want to do environmental portraits and then, you know, in a green belt, they'll choose like five shots that were taken in green belts. Or I've had models come back and it's five shots with white backdrops in a studio. I'm like, sweet. I know what backdrop color to choose. And so, uh, that's, that's what I say by do your homework or make, make the clients do their homework, uh, which that helps you in turn, do your homework and makes you a better photographer. Yeah, your best bet when working with those clients is like it. You'll you'll realize when you try to do when you try to coach them into one pose. They they they're either coachable or they're not coachable. And if they're not coachable, your best bet at getting the best shots out of them is making them let go. It like just just keep telling them like, dude, you just gotta like let go. You stop trying in front of this camera, and just 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 let it all go. Well, and I look at it, uh, we had this conversation uh, before we started the episode, 
I find that shooting men is very different than shooting women. I find the expectations for men are a lot lower as far as what they need to do to pose. A lot of times, put your hands in your back pockets, like scratch your shoulder, whatever the fuck. Really easy poses for guys in general compared to what they ask women to do. It's like, oh, yeah, like get into this fucking crazy pretzel triangle thing and put your hand. Like women, I think in general, uh, are asked to do much more difficult posing. But I take a lot of really great pictures of guys, and I find it easier to shoot guys, one, because I am one, and so it's easier to coach someone who's kind of like you. Um, but And I look really ridiculous doing women's poses. Uh, so yeah, mirror me, and then they start laughing. Uh, like, well, you look like a fucking idiot. I'm like, you're correct, so you're not going to look as bad as this, thankfully. But, um, but I, I find the to your point about just let go is because the fundamental thing about good modeling is a lot of times it's just benign shit that you're doing like like the second somebody throws a camera in front of them they start getting weird and it's like no like like just do some poses you know like like you know just do some poses the uh, only difference is if we're shooting for fashion or whatever we want maybe a little bit of negative space in them but you put your hand on your hips right okay cool you yeah. can put your hand on your hips okay drop your drop your shoulder drop your hand down by your side no don't give me mickey mouse hands just do it like you normally do it you know and you so know, there's a really fun trick you can do is if you've got a model uh, not a model but a client in front of a backdrop subject uh, subject oh. and you want them to you know you want them to like fucking understand what you mean by let it, let go is tell them you're going to take five minutes and then tell them you're not allowed to be on your phone for the five minutes and, and don't you know just like stay in front of the backdrop just you know just get used to the space and then pretend you're looking at your camera for like you know 30 seconds or whatever and then watch what that subject does they're going to break down into some natural pose where they're comfortable and then they're, they're going to start thinking you know that they're going to start thinking they're going to start looking at things and then suddenly you're going to, you know, they're going to be in, in their own form. They're going to have a pose that is viable, that works, that looks natural, that you can photograph. And if, if you've already got the light set up, just fucking just raise the camera and take a couple shots of them and then show them the shots and just say, okay, look at these shots. And then look at the shots before that, where you were trying super hard to look like, you know, you were in the latest music video on MTV, like just be and one and that usually they're just like oh okay this is a lot easier and then their their stress goes away your stress goes away and then suddenly you've got something to work with instagram model poses those are the bad ones mm. pro tips from brandon gory that does it for today's episode uh, hopefully uh this episode and the last episode where we talked about uh, improvements in photography. Hopefully these tips were helpful to you. We certainly hope so because uh, otherwise we're just two dudes talking into a microphone and not getting much accomplished. So, <laughs> But uh, we thank you. Uh, we're going to have some episodes coming out soon. We're going to be doing an episode on uh, state of film prices. We're going to do episodes on uh, retouching, color grading, etc. Check out the F11 podcast uh, on all major platforms. You can check us out at F11.com. Uh, F11, I'm sorry, F11pod.com. F11pod, Instagram, Twitter handles, and of course, uh, leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening. Not a one-star review. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.